So a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I decided to go on one of our neighboring groups that meets throughout the week. And if you're new here, uh, we have neighboring groups that meet throughout the week. We call it biblical community. And we feel that that's exactly what God created for you, that we're all supposed to be in that type of community. So if you're not in a group yet, like that's your next step. Well, hopefully everyone in here will get in a group at some point. But I went to go to this particular group because uh, there was a gentleman who was going to be sharing his testimony. And it was going to be a hard story for him to share. And I had been walking with him through that. And so I wanted to be there for moral support. And so I showed up and I got there a little bit late. And this is a big group. There's over 25 people in the house. And so I walked up and there's a glass door. And I kind of looked through the door and I could tell they've already kind of started a conversation. And so nobody else knew I was coming. And so I just kind of knocked on the door and, and started to open it up. And they turn and they see me. And I'm sure many of them are thinking like, what in the world is Aaron doing here? And so I didn't really know what to say or to do. I felt like I just kind of walked in on an awkward moment. And so to break the ice, I said the first thing that came to mind. So I said, did anybody order a stripper? <laughs> Welcome to Trace. My name's Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. <laughs> and despite what you've heard, this is my only vocation. So I just want to be clear about that. Um, guys, we truly are excited. I do want to say welcome to all of you in this room, especially to our students down here. I also want to say welcome to those of you joining us online today, and a special shout out to our guests. And if, if this is your first time joining us, man, you joined us at a great time. Today we kick off this series called Messy Grace, and I've really been looking forward to this series, and hopefully you'll kind of understand why as we unfold some of the topics that we're going to be teaching through. But one of the things that I think would be beneficial for us to do is to actually define the word grace. Now, this may be a reminder for most of you, but for the sake of kind of a building block on what this entire series is going to be about, I thought it would be good to start here. So the simplest version that I could probably explain it in is, is this. Grace <clears throat> is the unmerited favor of God. Now, in its very definition, we learn that grace is messy, Right, The fact that it's unmerited, meaning there's nothing that we can do to earn it, means there's people that can receive it that we might, if we were to be honest, we probably wouldn't think that those are people that should be able to receive grace and or forgiveness. And so in its very definition, grace becomes messy. And so over the course of the next five weeks, this will be a five-week series, we're going to be handling subjects like this. Next week, Corey's going to be talking about the messiness of sacrifice. Because without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, there is no grace, there is no forgiveness. And then the week after that, this will be the Easter weekend, the messiness of forgiveness. And my hope is that you're already thinking of people that you can invite into that conversation because we're going to give you an opportunity as well as all those that attend that weekend to make a big decision in their life. And that's going to be a really awesome weekend. Following that, we're actually going to be talking about what it looks like to go from mess to ministry. And Emily and I have a friend, Emily's my wife, if you're new here. Uh, Emily and I have a friend that used to be in a group that we led down in Arizona who actually did used to be a stripper, who used to be in that industry. And she's walked away from that lifestyle and now ministers to people in that industry. So God has turned her mess into a personal ministry. And then we're going to conclude talking about the messiness of love. And specifically, we're going to have a conversation around the LGBTQ conversation. Now, everybody hear me out. It's very likely, if you've been a part of the church for any amount of time, you've been a part of a church or a conversation that was seasoned with Christianity that wasn't seasoned with love as well when it comes to this particular conversation. And you might even be thinking to yourself, like, Aaron, why would we isolate that particular subject? Why would we isolate that particular people group? And here's why. 
This is the number one subject that's dividing the church in America today. That's not an opinion. And so what we want to do is we want to have a conversation about this that's full of both grace and truth. And I want to let you know, personally speaking, I've been reading a lot about this. I've been reading books that are in differing opinions to mine or differing theological beliefs than mine. And I've been meeting with people in the LGBTQ community. I've got friends who identify that way. And there's some of you in this room who identify that way. And so here's an invitation. If you do identify that way and you'd like to talk with me before that sermon, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with you. And so uh, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about the messiness of love. And we're going to do so with both grace and truth full of love. Sound good? But today we're going to kick off this series by looking at messy church. And I want to kind of give you my one thing on the very front end of this conversation because it's gonna, this is kind of the statement we'll build off of this entire morning. And it's simply this. Messy church is what you get when people stop pretending. Friends, messy church is the only way that Jesus knew how to do church. If you look at the beginning of his ministry when he first starts around the age of 30, we immediately see him hanging out with people that nobody else wanted to spend time with. People like tax collectors, which were like the worst of the worst of people in that era of time. It would be equivalent to maybe like Duke or North Carolina fans. <clears throat> yeah, just be ready. It's March Madness. You're going to get several of those. He spent time with prostitutes. He spent time with people who drank so much that people started to call Jesus a drunkard. He spent time with people that the religious leaders of that day would have said, don't get close to those people because it'll make you unclean. And not only did Jesus get close to them, he touched them. He embraced them. The only way that Jesus knew how to do church was messy and around messy people. He made it pretty clear. He didn't come for those that were healthy. He came for the sick. And so if we were to take our cues only from him, and that may be the church experiences that you and I grew up with. I don't know what kind of strategies or philosophies that you grew up with when it came to church or different denominations. But if we were only taking our cues from Jesus, I think we could conclude with this. If church isn't messy, we're probably doing it wrong. And so, friends, one of the things that I hope you've already realized about this place, if you've been coming for any amount of time, is this is going to be a messy church. Because we're only going to take our cues from Jesus. Friends, church was never supposed to be a place where we hide from our problems or cover up the pain in our life. It was always supposed to be a place where those things could actually be exposed. Where messy people like you and me could come and meet the messy grace of Jesus. But when we try to clean up and cover up what's really happening in our life behind the scenes, we don't make church better. We actually make it more dangerous. Let me explain what I mean by that. All of us have a gap in our lives. And this gap, we will fill with one of two things. You see, this gap is going to be between what people expect, who people expect you to be, and who you really are. So to the extent to which I fill this gap of who you expect me to be, and as a pastor, there's huge expectations of who you expect me to be and who I really am, is the extent to which I need to pretend. And this is the case for all of us. Let me say it one more time. To the extent that I fill this gap to who you think I should be compared to who I really am is the extent to which I feel the need to pretend. And let me say just a few things about what happens when we 
especially as followers of Jesus and people coming to be a part of this thing that God calls us church. There's some things that are dangerous when it comes to this whole idea of pretending. Here's a few. Number one, God can't bless who you pretend to be. And so if you're looking for God to speak into and shape your life, he cannot bless and shape what you pretend to be. We have to start with a foundation of truth. The next one, you cannot fight the necessary battles in your life from where you pretend to be. We talked about this a few weeks ago in our series called Fight. And we talked about how uh, that we need to stay in the battles that matter the most. But we cannot fight from where you pretend to be. And so if you want to win the battles that matter the most in your life, you've got to stop pretending. And the last one, I would say this. A life pretended is a life that will remain stuck. Maybe some of you feel that way today. Maybe some of you know that you've been pretending for too long, and now you just feel like you're kind of stuck in it, and it's hard to know what steps to take to move forward. Friends, messy church is what you get when people stop pretending, and it's the only way Jesus knew how to do church. This past week, actually marked a milestone here at Trace. And we became a year and a half years old, one and a half years old. And one of the things that we set out to do when we launched this church a year and a half ago was to reach unchurched people, the people that are not already convinced. And one of the things that I love about unchurched people is that they don't know any better. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When unchurched people come, they're looking for hope. They're looking for help. They're looking for healing. That's why they came here. And so this idea of hiding from those things would seem counterintuitive of why they showed up here to begin with. But for those of us that have been involved in church for maybe a large part of our life, something weird happens. And along the way, we feel like the more we know about the Bible, the longer that we've been following Jesus, that for some reason we're supposed to have it all figured out. And so when we know behind the scenes we really don't have it all figured out, what do we have to do? Pretend. We have to pretend. I shared this several weeks ago, and I think unchurched people get this better than we do sometimes. You can't hide and heal at the same time. It's just not possible. And so we are going to create a church here where you don't have to do that. And Every time I sit down, and I do this almost on a weekly basis, every time I sit down to talk with people who are ready to expose the reality of the, what's happening behind the scenes in their life, every time I sit down to talk with people about the true hurt that's happening in their life, yes, it does hurt me. It truly does. Every single one of them burden me when I hear what's really happening in people's lives. But if I'm being honest, I would also tell you that there's a part of me that's thankful Because now I know we're finally getting somewhere. Now I know that we're actually, we have been creating a culture here at Trace where people can come and expose their current reality. And so I sit down with people, and these are all true stories that say, you know what, my marriage, I know what it looks like on the outside, but behind the scenes, that's not what it is. I sit down with people who talk about their secret addictions and how long they've been dealing with them. I sit down and talk with people who expose for the first time a very unfortunate event like a rape or sexual abuse. I sit down with people who look at me and say, Aaron, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. I sit down with people who say, I do have a porn addiction behind the scenes or I do have some kind of chemical or substance addiction behind the scenes. And although I hate to hear of the struggles that people have and what's going on in their life, I'm thankful that we're creating a space here and a culture here where they can actually expose their current reality because messy church is what you get when people stop 
pretending, and it's the only way that Jesus knew how to do church. Several years back, I was, um, Emily and I were in a young couples group, and we were being trained to become marriage mentors, and so we were being trained by these, this awesome couple uh, who had gone through this certification process themselves, and so we were in there with a lot of other young married couples, and a friend of mine was in there with his wife, and we had gone through this for about a year, and uh, my friend and his wife decided that they were going to go ahead and step into this marriage mentor role. And they were really solid believers. And from the outside looking in, man, they had a good marriage. They served together at church. You know, they read their Bible. They read books. They, they learned together. And I remember the phone call that I got one day from his wife. And she said something really close to this. Aaron, I'm tired of pretending. I'm ready to stop pretending. Because my husband is not only emotionally and verbally abusing me, but he's physically abusing me. And things got pretty messy after that point. Guys, I understand that probably one of the hardest things that many of you will ever do is to expose your current reality. But per the words of Jesus, it also could be one of the most freeing things that you ever do. You see, I think it's very possible that when you expose your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups, that will be the very thing that Jesus uses not only to help heal you, but actually to help heal others. In other words, I would say it this way. You see, too often in the church we have focused on our shared beliefs when it's actually our shared brokenness that brings people together. In the last year and a half, I've watched married couples come alongside other married couples who are struggling. Not because that couple has it all figured out, but because they themselves have struggled. I'm watching guys who have struggled with porn addiction get back in the fight to overcome that temptation. And now they're inviting other men who are in that same fight. And they're getting together, people at Trace, guys at Trace, coming together and they're meeting together for accountability and encouragement. We're watching women come forward and talk about their own wounds from sexual abuse, all because they watched another woman step forward in boldness and courage, and now they themselves feel like they can do it as well. We're watching people come forward who are struggling with mental illness and exposing even potential thoughts of suicide, all because of one of our pastor's wives who decided to expose her current reality so that others could find hope. Messy church is what you get when people stop pretending. So here's what I want to do. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today or you have an app, go ahead and turn them open or turn them on. And we're going to find ourselves in John, ourselves in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. And what I would like to do is I want us to look at what our response should be to Jesus based on what some of the earliest disciples did. And so what we're gonna, where we're going to find Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry when some of the first disciples decide that they want to follow him to see what all of this is about. And so we're going to begin in verse 35. We're going to uh, hear about John really quick, John the Baptist. For those of you new to the church, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer was this guy who came before Jesus to tell people that Jesus was coming to kind of pave the way for Jesus to come. And so you're going to hear about him really quick, beginning in verse 35. Here's what it says. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they decided to follow Jesus. Kind of feel bad for John in that situation, don't we? 
Then Jesus looked around. At some point in time, he noticed that there were these two strange guys following him, and he asked a simple question. What do you want? I love this question, how innocent it is. And I think it would be actually a really good question for us to wrestle with this morning in a different context. Friends, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want out of your faith? What do you want out of the relationships that you're in right now? What do you want out of this church? What do you want? Are you in this just for you? Is this something that's just a part of your weekly routine because it's an adopted faith? It's something you experienced growing up and you just go to church on Sundays and that's it for you? That's kind of what this is, maybe? What do you want? Are you here to maybe see what you can get out of it? If it makes you feel better? Friends, what do you want? Do you want to be a part of a church, another church whose only interest is in entertaining Christians and doing everything they can just to keep the people that are already a part of that church happy? Or do you want to challenge the status quo, and do everything that we stink and can to reach people far from God. That's what I want. Do you want to be a part of a country club church where everybody acts like things are great and maybe even afraid to be around messy people? I've seen those churches too. Or do you want to be a part of a messy church where people can come just as they are, no strings attached to hear about the messy grace of Jesus Christ and not just hear about it, but invite other people into it. Because that's the only way that Jesus knew how to do it. Let's pick up in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And then Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. Friends, do you understand that this should be the natural response to all of us? Once we find who we're looking for, his name is Jesus, his name is hope, his name is messy grace, his name is mercy, his name is love. When we find him, our natural response should be to go and find others and say, we have found who we are looking for. And by doing that and not putting people into a filter of who we ask to come into that kind of environment, it should naturally become messy because we should naturally be asking messy people to come and meet that very man. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Man, this is a whole other sermon, guys, that I could preach, but can I quickly just say, some of you need to be given a different name. Many of the people that we know in our lives need to be given different names because they've been given names like faggot, loser, whore, slut. You fill in the blank. I don't know what that name was, but Jesus wants to give them a new name. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Come follow me. And Philip was from beside Andrew and Peter's hometown. So Philip immediately went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. The natural response to meeting love himself is going and finding people who need to meet love himself. Friends, this is what we're supposed to be doing. It should be our natural response. And I love Nathanael's response. He said, Nazareth, he exclaimed, can anything good come from Nazareth? And if I can bounce out of that context into maybe a more current context from us, friends, I think this is what people are asking. Church, can anything good come from church? 
I mean, why would I expose myself to so much hypocrisy and judgment and condemnation? Why would I expose my family to a system that often leaves people in a worse place than where they were before? Why would I involve myself in a faith where I can't even talk about what's really going on in my life? Because if I did, people would never treat me the same again. All things I've heard about the church. Friends, our message, our message, it's got to be different. It's got to be different. Our message must begin with, we have found who we are looking for. His name is Jesus, and the only way he knows how to do church is messy. His grace is extended to you right now, no matter how undeserving that you feel of it. And my hope is that you could say this next statement with sincerity. I hope that you can start leaving this place as you get to know who we are, because maybe you're completely new here. And you can leave here and you can say, Friends, we have found a place that wants to meet you in the midst of your mess, a place where your wounds can be used to help the wounded, a place where you don't even have to believe before you can belong, a place where your pain can be turned into purpose. And I love Philip's response as he's trying to talk to Nathaniel. He says, why don't you come and see for yourself? I hope that as you're coming here and you're experiencing the messy grace of Jesus and the messy way that we're going to do church by reaching people far from God is that your immediate response is to want to think about people and go after them and include them into something that God designed for them. You see, when we embrace and we reflect the messy grace of God, we will attract the people who need it the most. Can I say it one more time? When we embrace and we reflect the messy grace of God, we will attract the people who need it the most. Not the healthy, but the sick. Not the already convinced, but the unconvinced. Not even the faithful, but often the forgotten. Friends, messy church is what you get. When people stop pretending... Anybody else ready to stop pretending this morning? Anybody else want to create a church like this? We're a year and a half into this, but we need your help. In a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate the messy grace of Jesus and what he had to do in order to accomplish that. And we're going to give an opportunity for people to make big decisions in their life. We need your help. We need you to go and tell people we have found who we are looking for. We pray for us. Father, the way that you design this is naturally messy. And when we try to clean it up, we mess it up. Father, we pray that as we're continuing to build the culture here at Trace, that a, this idea of pretending to be somebody that we're not is only going to get in the way of what you actually want to do through us and the purpose that you have for us. I think we get in your way a lot, God. And so as we continue to, to build on what you have started here, I pray you help us to continue to build this culture of messiness and that we don't have any filters of the kind of people that we want to invite into this space, but we just simply go and tell people because we found who we're looking for. His name is Jesus. His name is Hope. His name is mercy, his name is forgiveness, his name is grace, and he wants to meet people right where they're at.
We love you, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.